MSW Media. Big shout out today to Helix Sleep. Take their two-minute sleep quiz and they'll match you to a mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. In honor of Labor Day, Helix is offering 25% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and use code HELIXPARTNER25. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, September 6, 2023. Today, Proud Boy Enrique Tario has been sentenced to 22 years in prison for his role in the attack on the Capitol on January 6th. A federal appeals court appears to partially vacate a ruling about Rep. Scott Perry's phone. All 19 defendants in the Fulton County racketeering case have waived arraignment and pled not guilty. Alabama's Supreme Court defiant congressional map has been struck down and a special master has been appointed to draw a new one. Peter Navarro's criminal contempt trial is underway in federal court in D.C., Spain's women's soccer coach has been sacked, and that is in the aftermath of a non-consensual kiss from the head of the entire soccer federation. Special counsel Jack Smith is investigating voting machine breaches nationwide, and Texas senators have denied all pretrial motions filed by Attorney General Ken Paxton to dismiss the impeachment articles against him. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Ooh, Dana, we came close to another record-breaking sh- news day. Oh, so much stuff. And I love it. It's so diverse, too. We're not just covering politics. Nope, nope. There's a lot to cover today. Um, a lot of stuff I wanted to personally get to because I thought the stories were important. Uh, but first of all, I'm glad you're back. I missed you. I missed you, too. It's always, a, it's, I, as you know, I hate missing the podcast, but I really do appreciate the times covered when I cannot make it to record. I am here. I have your back, my friend. And I Thank know you, you have mine. Also later in the show, I'll be speaking with the co-founder and CEO of Represent Us. His name is Joshua Graham Lynn. So look forward to that. Got a couple of quick hits before we get to the news. A CNN exclusive reveals Jack Smith has been investigating the voting machine breaches in several key swing states and his investigation into fundraising by super PACs, particularly Sidney Powell, is continuing. And I'll cover that in depth on the next Jack podcast. And boy, um, if you were following the sentencing of Enrique Tario. He was sentenced today to 22 years in prison. That is by far the longest federal sentence next to Stuart Rhodes, who's been sentenced to 18 years. He's a member of the Oath Keepers. But Tario, this is important because Tario was not even in town that day. And that does not bode well for Donald Trump. Now, I know Donald Trump is not um, charged with seditious conspiracy, but he is charged with obstructing an official proceeding. And now we know You don't have to be not just in the Capitol, but you don't have to even be in town to be found guilty of that and sentenced to a long sentence. Also, all 19 defendants in Fulton County have waived their arraignment and pled not guilty. So we don't have any cooperators yet. And Scott Perry's phone. Remember this ongoing? Oh, yeah. Brouhaha where Scott Perry says he has, you know, speech or debate clause privileges. All of this has been under seal. But a a three judge panel in the D.C. appellate court made up of Rao Henderson and Katsis, a Reagan appointee and two Trump appointees, have appeared to vacate uh, at least part of Judge Howell's decision, whatever that was. And I'm assuming it wasn't good for uh, Rep. Perry, but they seem to vacate part of her sentence and have remanded it back to her, her court, to her, you know, to her courtroom 
to make the necessary corrections. Now, we don't know too much. We'll talk more about this on the Jack podcast. Again, this is all under seal, but it, it appears that something Judge Howell ruled on. I, I'm assuming Judge Howell said, Scott Perry, you got to handle all your shit over. And this three judge panel said, nope, uh, and sent it back. And we'll see if the DOJ appeals on bonk, meaning to the entire DC circuit panel, or if they go to SCOTUS or both. We'll find out and we'll talk about it on Jack. So those are the quick hits. That's how much news we have today. It's a lot of them. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so many. Uh, I feel like I talk too much sometimes, but we got to get through it. So there we go. And then we have a lot more news. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. First up from Hansi Lo Wong at NPR. A panel of three federal judges has struck down Alabama's latest map of congressional election districts for not following Supreme Court order to comply with the Landmark Voting Rights Act. In an order released Tuesday, the judges said they are, quote, deeply troubled that the state enacted a map that the state readily admits does not provide the remedy we said federal law requires. Quote, we are not aware of any other case in which a state legislature faced with a federal court order declaring that its electoral plan unlawfully dilutes minority votes and requiring a plan that provides an additional opportunity district. We're surprised you responded with a plan that you conceded doesn't provide that district. <laughs> That's U.S. Circuit Judge Stanley Marcus and U.S. District Judge Anna Manasco and Judge Terry Moore. Quote, the law requires the creation of an additional district that affords black Alabamians, like everyone else, a fair and reasonable opportunity to elect candidates of their choice. The 2023 plan plainly fails to do so. For the 2024 elections, the judges have assigned a court-appointed special master to draw three potential maps that includes each two districts where black voters have a realistic opportunity of electing their preferred candidate. Those redistricting proposals are due to the court by September 25th, 20 days, 19 days from now. That's fast. All sides in this case will be able to challenge the proposals produced by the court's special master and cartographer. That's according to the judges. And a hearing on objections is tentatively set for October 3rd. And the state of Alabama has previously signaled in court filings it would appeal this kind of ruling to the Supreme Court, where a majority of justices upheld the panel's order in June. So probably not going to go the way they want. Quote, we intend to promptly seek review from the Supreme Court to ensure that the state can use its lawful congressional districts in 2024 and beyond. That's Amanda Priest, spokesperson for a bunch of dicks. I'm sorry, <laughs> Alabama st State Attorney General in a statement. The panel's latest ruling is part of a long-running legal fight over a redistricting plan that could help change the balance of power in the House of Representatives after next year's elections. Now, before reviewing the congressional map passed by Alabama's Republican-controlled legislature in July, the three judges threw out an earlier redistricting plan approved by state lawmakers after finding that it likely violated Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act by diluting the power of Alabama's black voters. Out of the state's seven congressional voting districts, that plan included only one opportunity district for black voters in a state where black people make up more than a quarter of the state's residents. The judges ordered instead a new map with two opportunity districts for black voters and black Alabamians, they noted, would need to make up the majority of the voting age population or something quite close to it in each of those districts, given how racially polarized voting is in the state. The state is facing a looming logistical deadline for next year's races. Alabama's top election official, Secretary of State Wes Allen, a Republican, has told the court that finalizing a redistricting plan by around October 1st would provide enough time to reassign voters, print and distribute ballots, and otherwise conduct the forthcoming 2024 primary election based on the new map. 
The legal battle over Alabama's congressional districts is expected to continue with a court trial about the map that will be used for the 2026 elections. I hope they lose that, too. I hope they do as well. Thank you, A.G. This is from Bradner at CNN. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, and I quote, wasn't the man he publicly proclaimed to be. This is from Republicans, by the way. This is the State House Republican. It sounds like a country song. I know. <laughs> and they are leading the impeachment case against him. That's what they told the state Senate on Tuesday. He went on to say he betrayed his constituents and the sacred public trust that's been given to him. And in Texas, we require more from our public officials than to merely avoid being a criminal. <laughs> that is from State Rep. Andrew Murr. He said that in his opening statement as Paxton's impeachment trial began on Tuesday afternoon. Went on to say he said witnesses in the Senate's trial, which will play out over the next two or three weeks, will provide the clarity the Senate needs and the public deserves to find out what was really happening behind closed doors. Murr's comments came after Paxton, through his attorney, Tony Busby, pleaded not guilty to 16 articles of impeachment that are up for consideration during his Senate trial. Now, the trial started after the Senate voted to reject motions from Paxton's team to dismiss the impeachment case in its entirety and to dismiss individual articles of impeachment. Twelve Republicans joined all 12 Democrats in voting 24 to 6 to continue the trial. Yep. Yeah, the GOP-led Senate also voted 22 to 8 against a motion to exclude all evidence before January 2023. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, also a fine, upstanding guy, a longtime Paxton ally who is presiding over the Senate's trial, by the way, said Paxton cannot be compelled to testify during the proceedings, describing the process as similar to a criminal trial. Paxton was present through the day's opening hours to enter his not guilty plea, but he was not on hand Tuesday afternoon during opening statements. Now, Busby, one of his attorneys, insisted that there's nothing to this and said allegations that Paxton had abused his office to benefit friend and donor Nate Paul were, and I quote, based on ignorance, innuendo, and outright lies. Okay. Yep. Another <laughs> another quote from Busby. Ken Paxton gave nothing of significance to Nate Paul. Nate Paul received nothing of significance from Ken Paxton. <laughs> It's a hell of a quote. This whole case is a whole lot of nothing. Okay, Busby. Mm. He went on to say, I do wonder, are we really going to get a fair trial here? Have you already decided based on what's politically expedient or what's best for you personally? Or is it even possible to get a fair hearing? In a group of Republicans? I know, against another Republican. I'm telling you, this is, it's an interesting case. The opening statements, they kicked off the Senate's consideration of Paxton's impeachment by the Texas House which voted 121 to 23 in May to impeach him after he requested 3.3 million in state funds for a settlement with former staffers who had accused him of abusing his office to benefit Paul. Paxton's a firebrand conservative. We know this. He's aligned himself with Donald Trump for years. Now, following the 2020 election, he sued in a very failed effort, by the way, to overturn Trump's loss to Joe Biden, seeking to have electoral college votes of four swing states, one by Biden, thrown out completely. And he so far has survived a series of scandals since taking office in 2015, though he remains under indictment, by the way, in a separate securities fraud case. He's already been under indictment. Yeah, he has described his impeachment as a politically motivated sham. Uh Uh-huh. I'm surprised he didn't call it a witch hunt and has consistently denied any wrongdoing. In 2020, top Paxton aides published a letter accusing the attorney general of abusing office, bribery and improper influence 
Complaints centered on Paxton's ties to that specific donor and friend, Nate Paul. Four of the former staffers later sued the attorney general's office, claiming they were fired in violation of the state's whistleblower law. Now, in February, Paxton agreed to to a settlement in which he did not admit fault, and the whistleblowers would be paid $3.3 million. He asked state lawmakers to fund that settlement, (laughs) which is just bullshit. The House impeachment managers have already submitted nearly 4,000 pages of evidence, unveiling more details in the extraordinary accusations that Paxton pressured his top aides to take steps that would benefit that donor. And Paul's a real estate investor. Paxton's accused of accepting $20,000 in countertop materials from Paul through a contractor during a remodeling of his home. Also included in the allegations is that Paxton had a mistress whom Paul hired as a favor to the attorney general and that Paxton would use an alias, Dave P., an Uber to meet up with that mistress, as well as Paul. Hmm. Now, Paul was arrested, by the way, in June on eight federal felony charges relating to falsifying financial records and his lawyer has repeatedly declined to comment to CNN. There are 19 Republicans in the 31-member Texas Senate. One of them is Paxton's wife. That's Angela Paxton. Now, she's not eligible to vote at the trial. Shocking. I know. I'm surprised that any of this is actually happening and that they would tell her she can't because in Texas, they'd be like, yeah, go ahead and vote. Right. Like, they're, oh, they're being ethical. Exactly. If the 21 of the remaining 30 eligible senators vote to convict Paxton, he would become the third person ever removed from office in Texas via impeachment proceedings. And that trial is expected to last two or three weeks. So in the next month or so, we should know some more information on that and be sure we are going to report it to you. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, the fact that they only need 21 and they got 22 votes in the Senate today to not throw out evidence pre-January 2023, which was one of his arguments. Yeah. It's not looking good. Nope. So. All right. From Paul Duggan at The Washington Post, with former President Trump now accused of 91 felonies in four historic indictments, the legal woes of his erstwhile senior trade advisor, Pete Navarro, have been reduced to a prosecutorial sideshow. (laughs) Yet the 74-year-old economist, I'll put economist in quotes there, still allowed proponent of the stolen election falsehoods, remains noteworthy in this sense. After right-wing provocateur Steve Bannon was convicted last summer of contempt of Congress, Navarro, on Tuesday, became the second top official in Trump's White House to face criminal trial related to a scheme to undo Joe Biden's 2020 victory at the polls. And Navarro, who has pled not guilty, said it is costing him a lot of money. My legal bills just went up by another half million dollars, he said last week as he departed the federal courthouse in D.C., having failed in his last-ditch attempt to have the case against him thrown out. Such is the price of defying a congressional subpoena if the flouting leads to an indictment, as it did for Navarro. He's charged with two misdemeanor counts of contempt, each punishable by up to a year behind bars and a minimum of one month. It will be served uh, concurrently, by the way. He's not facing two years. I know people like to say that, but he's not. For refusing to provide testimony and documents to the uh, January 6th Select Committee. Bannon, convicted of the same offense in July of 2022, that's how long Navarro has been putting this off, was sentenced to four months in prison. He's free pending the outcome of his appeal. I assume Navarro will also be let out pending the outcome of his appeal. He has said he declined to cooperate with the committee because Trump, even though he was no longer president, broadly invoked executive privilege in conversations with him, instructing him not to testify about matters the House committee was examining. That sounds more like obstruction than anything else. And in a blow to Navarro, Judge Amit Mehta voiced skepticism 
about the purported conversations. He, I was there. He actually called him weak sauce. Uh, these conversations are uncorroborated and ruled last week that Navarro cannot raise executive privilege as a defense at his trial. The decision stripped him of his strongest argument for an acquittal. Jury selection began Tuesday, and with four defense attorneys in the courtroom, the meter's running. Do I look like a rich man? He said, a longtime academic with hawkish views on China trade, who joined the Trump administration at its outset and stayed until the tumultuous end. As photographers squatted and snapped, he clutched the lapels of his pinstripe jacket and held it open. This is the same suit I wore in 2017 going into the White House, okay? Well, you can get a public defender if you don't make a lot of money. <laughs> uh, quote, the partisan nature of what's going on, you can understand the partisan nature of it. it. It's the use and abuse of our legal system to punish political rivals. And one of the ways they try to do that is they try to put you in prison, which is what they're trying to do to me, but also to bankrupt you. OK, <laughs> OK. The scheme that Navarro has described, which he said Bannon dubbed the Green Bay Sweep, which is a football reference to an end run called for dragging out the process of formally counting the electoral votes in a joint session of Congress. Trump loyalists in the House and the Senate would contest the ballots from six swing states that Biden won. Each challenge would prompt four hours of debate, even though the Electoral Count Act says two hours max, resulting in a nationally televised 24-hour spectacle. Like Navarro, Bannon is a Trump political advisor. He was barred from using executive privilege, Bannon was, as a trial defense. So he didn't get to either. Now, the privilege is meant to protect the confidentiality of discussions between presidents and their close aides. Although Bannon was Trump's chief White House strategist, he left the administration after seven months in August of 2017. And he was a private citizen during the post-election turmoil. His defense was reduced mainly to whether he understood the deadlines for the subpoena that he received. That was basically it. <laughs> that was his only defense. Uh, the jurors deliberated for just two, two and a half hours before they convicted him. Navarro faces one month to one year in prison. We'll cover the trial over on Cleanup on Aisle 45. All right, AG, thank you so much. And last in this segment, this is from CNN. Jorge Vilda has been sacked from his role as head coach of the Spanish women's soccer team amid the ongoing fallout over the unwanted kiss that the soccer chief, Luis Rubiales, gave a player at the Women's World Cup final. This has been a mess, and he should have been fired way before this, by the way. But this is what this story is about. The move comes as part of a major shakeup in Spanish soccer ever since Rubiales, who is the president of the country's soccer federation, which is RFEF. He forcibly kissed forward Jennifer Hermosa on August 20th after Spain won the World Cup. Now, Rubiales has apologized for his actions and described the kiss as mutual a claim that Hermosa has vehemently denied, by the way, saying she was not respected. He's been handed, now the president has been handed a 90-day suspension by FIFA, that's soccer's global governing body, if you're not familiar, while disciplinary proceedings are underway. In a statement announcing Vilda's sacking, RFEF said he was, and I quote, key to the notable growth of women's football and leaves Spain as world champions and second in the FIFA rankings. He's also a misogynistic fucker, by the way, that was creating havoc in the team. The Federation described the move as, and I quote, one of the first measures of restructuring announced by interim president Pedro Rocha. That's the end of that. RFEF later announced Vilda would be replaced by his deputy, Monse Tome. She will be the first woman in charge of the women's national team, and her debut match will come on September 22nd against Sweden. Now, Vilda has been the women's national coach since 2015, and this is a quote. 
RFEF appreciates his work at the head of the national team and his responsibilities as the maximum sporting figure of the women's national teams, as well as the successes reaped during his term, crowned with the recent achievement of the World Cup. That was a statement from the Federation. However, success on the pitch has belied a tense atmosphere in the squad and the longstanding animosity between some of the country's best players, Vilda's technical staff, and RFEF. Following the team's victories against the Netherlands and Sweden in the World Cup's quarterfinals and semifinals, videos went viral on social media of what appeared to be cold reactions from some of Spain's substituted players toward their coach and his staff, as well as during the post-match celebrations. One clip showed Vilda trying to celebrate with a handful of players following the win over the Netherlands, only to appear to be completely ignored by the players. The players' dissatisfaction. This dates back beyond September of last year. This has nothing to do with this kiss, by the way. When 15 of the members of the senior squad, they sent personally signed letters to the Federation via email to announce that they would no longer play for the national team unless there were wholesale changes made throughout the coaching staff. Now, controversy surrounded Vilda had only intensified following the World Cup final as footage from the match appeared to show him inappropriately touching a female staff member while celebrating Spain's goal against England. Vilda did not respond to questions about the incident when contacted by CNN via the Federation. Vilda, like many in the room, was seen applauding Rubiales throughout the assembly. The following day, however, he issued a statement condemning the actions of the beleaguered soccer chief. And this is a quote from him. I'm deeply sorry that the victory of Spanish women's football has been harmed by the inappropriate behavior that our until now top leader, Luis Rubiales, has carried out and that he himself has recognized, which he didn't, by the way. Vilda said that in a statement, which was widely shared by the Spanish media. This has been a mess. And the victims of all of this are the players of the Spanish national team, period. They have been going through shit for a really long time, and I'm glad that they're getting rid of this coach. It's been a horrible environment for them to have to play in, and it's shocking that they actually won the World Cup even after all of this. I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of the players. Yeah, I'm so glad that they stood their ground on both of these actions. Uh, but to go back to September 2015, having written letters saying you need a shakeup and for them to be ignored that long... That's, um, you know, I'm, I'm 90 day suspension for Ruby Alice. It should be more than that. Wayne, oh, he should be gone. Out of the 15 players yeah. that wrote those letters, AG, 12 of them were not allowed to play on the Spain's national team. They pulled three players up to actually play in the World Cup. 12 of them weren't even allowed to come. Jesus. Yep. Huh. More change, more change going to come. And um, I, I support these women and, and, and their decisions. It's so hard to stand up in the face of that kind of national and international power i know so it's huge heroes. i mean especially in spain yeah oh yeah yeah heroes heroes all of them all right everybody we have a bunch of good news to get to if you have any good news send it to us dailybeanspod.com click on contact but we have to take a quick break so stick around we'll be right back after these messages we'll be right back ever since i switched to my helix mattress those restless nights are history it provides unparalleled comfort I sleep better now than I ever have before. Y'all know this. I've been singing the praises of my Helix mattress forever. Just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans, take their two-minute sleep quiz. They'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. And you'll get 25% off all mattress orders and two free pillows with code HELIXPARTNER25. 
You know, I used to think all mattresses were basically the same, and that's until I slept on my Helix. From the award-winning Lux collection to the new Helix Elite line, 20 distinct mattresses to match you to. This allows them to cater to anyone's sleeping needs, including special mattresses for children and models for the big and tall folks. Plus, they have ones with special cooling technology for those of us who get hot while we sleep. They hooked me up with the Helix Midnight, which is exactly what I needed. It's perfect for side sleepers like myself that prefer a medium firm bed, and it is the best mattress I've ever slept on, hands down. So to find out which mattress is perfect for you, go online, take their two-minute quiz, and after you're matched, order it. It will be shipped directly to your door free of charge. No more mattress stores ever again. You don't have to take my word for it. Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews, so you know everyone else loves their Helix mattress just as much as I do. Right now, Helix is offering 25% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners in honor of Labor Day. Go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and use code HELIXPARTNER25. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm happy to be joined today by the co-founder and CEO of Represent Us, Joshua Graham Lynn. Hi, Josh. How are you? Hi, I'm good, Allison. How are you? I am great. I am really glad to be talking to you today. I was put in touch with you and your organization by my friend Miles Taylor, and he has his new book out, Blowback, uh, which is very important because we are all working together to try to secure democracy before we go forward and, you know, separate into our <laughs> into our tribes and have our, uh, you know, our age old arguments about what's good for government. So tell us a little bit about what Represent Us is and what you do. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, Miles Taylor is a great friend of the movement here as well. So Represent Us is about one thing. It's about the fact that the American political system is not representative of the American people, and it's clearly not working for the American people. Uh, when you think of any issue you care about, regardless of where you are on the political spectrum, maybe it's climate, maybe it's our big bloated government wasting trillions in tax dollars, Maybe it's the fact that things have gotten so extreme that our elections are under threat. It all ties back to our broken and corrupt political system. And so Represent Us exists to fix that. Right. Because right now, you know, uh, our democracy is in peril as we face a potential second term by the former guy, right? Uh, Donald Trump. He is running. He is, uh, you know, whether you believe the polls or not, or how far out ahead he is in front, he's out in front. Uh, at least right now, which we're still a little over a year away from the election. But Miles wrote about this and, and you talk about this. That is dangerous to our democracy. And we need to sort of band together with strange bedfellows, as it were, and perhaps people we wouldn't normally, you know, I, I had a great book chat with Miles about this. And, you know, we could talk about our differences all day long. But right now, I think that the focus needs to be on securing the fact, securing democracy. Judge Ludig, a very well-respected conservative judge, has said that we do not have two political parties in this country. The Republican Party is no more, at least as it stands. And without that, that puts democracy in peril. So what are some of the things that represent us as trying to do to secure that underlying democracy before we go forward? And, uh, you know, I see... I can see a scenario where, you know, if, if Trump is the nominee and loses again, that the Republican Party is going to have to retool and, and come out the other side as something else. Mm -hmm. uh, and we may see two different political parties, perhaps maybe three in our future, but we have to get to that future. So what, what is Representatives doing to get to that future? Everything that you're talking about comes back to this idea, and it sounds trite, but you have to put country over party sometimes. 
right? That has to be the first step. And so as a matter of course, we work with folks from across the political spectrum to get things done. And the way we look at it is this. There's a lot of things that have to happen right now in the short term. Uh, we have to have election workers being protected. You have to have lots of people volunteering for the polls. You have to have tough laws in place to say that it's not okay to threaten, intimidate, et cetera. That, ha that has to be part of our democracy, that we can host elections and have voters feel safe. But you also have to ask, how did we get here in the first place? Like, what happened? And why do all these messages of that, frankly, that Trump was carrying and folks like Bernie were carrying about a government that's not working for the people, how does that resonate so much? And it comes back to the idea that the government is not representative. And so we are losing trust and faith in our own institutions. So what we do about it is we look at things like gerrymandering. And we say, if there's no competition and no way to hold a bad elected official accountable, then you're never going to feel like your vote matters. So we have to fix gerrymandering. If voters know, as 90% of them do, that money in politics is one of the biggest threats to our nation, and you're not going to do anything about that, you're going to continue to get the same results. The same thing is true about our primaries, where all of the competition exists. And so we can go city by city, state by state, fixing the fundamental rules and laws of our government. And when we do that, we build strength, we will have better candidates, we'll have candidates that represent the people. And, uh, and that's a long-term fight, but that's what we're here to do. And, and what about defeating demagogues like, uh, like Donald Trump? I know that this is a big focus uh, of, of our friend Miles. And, you know, he talks about potential cabinets that could arise from, and it doesn't have to just be Donald Trump. It can be any kind of uh, demagoguery uh, type skullduggery person mm -hmm. uh, who steps in to do that. And this that's something that we, I don't think is going to go away just if Trump is defeated. I think that that sort of, I guess, what people call Trumpism or, you know, autocratic creep is here to stay. What what does represent us doing about uh, uniting uh, behind, you know, even if it's Joe Biden uh, in this next election, just to get that done and out of the way so that we can move forward with some of these other initiatives like getting money out of politics, like ending gerrymandering. We can do all these things. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. That's right. There's some focus on that as well. So what 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 is your organization doing to defeat that autocratic creep? Yeah. So represent us itself doesn't take a position on any candidate, because if you do, then you become part of, you know, supporting one candidate or another. But I will say this. I think that you're absolutely right that anti-democratic sentiments, small d democratic sentiments are spreading throughout the globe. And they're certainly on the rise here in the U.S. And part of that comes from the leadership that we currently have in place, right? Like you have leaders that are building a platform on tearing down the system, tearing down their opposition, taking a hard line and very radical approach. We now call it Trumpism here in the US. That shouldn't be the standard. And in order to get to a place where we don't have that, you're gonna have to see Democrats who are willing to go across the aisle and support Republicans who stand for the rule of law and stand for the constitution. And you're gonna have to see Republicans step across the aisle and support Democrats who can beat a Republican who has embraced Trumpism. And that has to happen. One of the things that I think gets overlooked is the power of having things that we can do and win as a movement right now. And so when you talk about walking and chewing gum, we can bring together a coalition of people who want to see gerrymandering come to an end. Those are the same people who are going to be willing to make a little bit of a compromise on their candidate to go vote for the pro-democracy candidate. And so I think there's a really strong connection between being civically engaged, being civically responsible, taking responsibility for the laws that we live under, because we do have the freedom of living in the U.S., and getting things changed. And as an outcome of that, 
you'll see higher uh, voter participation amongst those people because they feel empowered. They don't feel like the system is just this giant monolith that's never going to change that doesn't affect them at all. Yeah. And and you have a big event coming up here in September, if memory serves. I believe we talked about this offline quite a bit. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit of, about that and also let people know where they can get information about this event? Sure. So the event is called American Democracy Summit, September 27th through 29th in L.A., And the idea with the summit is that, as we've been talking about here, democracy in this country is facing unprecedented threats, at least in our our lifetimes. We haven't seen it in generations. And when you have a threat like that, what you need is a coordinated, collaborative, unified movement pushing back against it. And so what American Democracy Summit is about is bringing together folks who are working on election protection, like we talked about, uh, protecting the right to vote, expanding voter freedom, fixing the underlying systemic issues raising up folks who are willing to work across the aisle and bringing that all together under one roof in Los Angeles. The place to get tickets is americandemocracysummit.org. And what's wonderful about this is no matter where you are on the political spectrum, you will see somebody on stage who represents you. It's one of the core foundations. Uh, We've got Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson and Brad Raffensperger together on a panel. Uh, Lisa Murkowski is going to be coming to speak. She just is a, you know, she's a moderate. She stood against Trump. Uh, she's one of the few who's left standing because of ranked choice voting. That's a really interesting person to hear from on stage. And then we've got progressive leaders and voting rights leaders as well. So we really are representative of the full spectrum. I love this. I love this idea. And, you know, I will I will warn people, there's probably people you don't want to hear from uh, <laughs> that might be there. But that is kind of the point when you're trying to bring a coalition from across the political spectrum together you know, with with a common goal, which is to get every vote to count and to make it easier to vote uh, and, uh, you know, to to have our government be representative of the people. You know, we can go back and forth about who does this better all day. I I have my uh, opinions and, uh, (laughs) you know, they are well known. But I think that um, it, it is something that has to be done in order to preserve democracy at this particular juncture in American history. Otherwise, we could lose our little experiment called the United States. That's right. And um, that would be obviously... Nobody wants that. That would be very bad uh, for for everyone. And I think it's worth just pointing out, this is it's not just an idealistic thing to bring folks together from across the spectrum. I mean, it does feel good, right? There's something to be said for that in some no, circles. No, look at the infrastructure bill. Look at the infrastructure yeah. bill we got done. When did you ever think in your life that any Republican would vote for $2 trillion in spending? Yeah. And so it, it is, I think, it's not just a pie in the sky right. thing. So much has gotten done by reaching across the aisle. So I, right. you know, I'm with you on that. Yeah. And it's very American to say, you know, not everybody gets everything they want, but everybody gets a little something. And in this case, when it comes to our democracy, that's how it should be. There should be compromise. There should be a lot of debate and discussion. And we should feel at the end of the day, like the people we elect are representing the American people. And the way we feel right now is that the people we elect get swept up by special interests and they get swept up by their party and they just want power. And of course, democracy is not going to survive if we leave it like that. No, and that's how democracy works is is through that compromise. And there are autocrats around the globe who would point to us and say, "Look how clunky and terrible democracy is. Mm-hmm. You need a dictator." 
so that things can get done quickly and the I alone can fix it, folks. Um, We've heard that a few times. And that is why uh, President Biden, during pretty much every major speech he's given, has has touted reaching across the aisle and compromise and that the perfect is the enemy of the good because democracy can work. It does work. And we've shown that it works. And it is not just an idealistic, unachievable goal. That's right. So uh, I look forward to that. Tell everybody again the website where they can go to get more information, not just about Represent Us, but about the Democracy Summit coming up at the end of September. Before I let you go, where do they get information? So you go to AmericanDemocracySummit.org. And again, the dates are September 27th through 29th in LA. Uh, And my organization is Represent Us. You can get there from the homepage as well, represent.us. Awesome. Thank you so much, Joshua Graham Lynn, co-founder and CEO of Represent Us. It's been great to talk to you. Everybody, stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, what the mutt, what the heck wine, shout out to a loved one, shout out to a small business in your area, shout out to your small business, shout out to yourself, frog orgies, baby pictures, whoopee stories, misheard song lyrics, anything at all, please send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Quick correction from Australia. The capital of Australia is pronounced Canberra by Aussies. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) I appreciate that. (laughs) I always get the pronunciations wrong, so I really appreciate those. And I will do my best to remember. But watch, it'll be right up in front of my fucking face again sometime, and I'll totally blow it. Next up from Mary, pronouns she and her. Hi, AG. Hi, Dana. My good news is that my husband has successfully completed his MBA in accounting. He started his MBA in 2021 and has worked full-time while going to school part-time for the past two and a half years. He's hoping to get some sort of promotion at his company, and he also wants to eventually become a CPA, Certified Public Accountant. Congratulations to Mary and her husband. Woohoo. All right. This is from Anna or Anna. I don't know because there's not a pronunciation, but we're going to go with Anna. Pronouns she and her. Sending you lots of love from just outside of Canada's capital, Ottawa. You're one of the first shows I start my morning with while working from home. I somehow lucked in with the government department. I was finally given full-time status with, and we have until April 2024 before we officially are mandated back into the office twice a week. That's awesome that you guys are still working remotely, though. Sending you a picture of my home bosses. Onyx is the tux and Cobblepot is the calico. Our love loaf. Okay. Oh, my. I'm allergic to this picture. That is such a big. (laughs) (laughs) That is a giant furry floof. Cobblepot is is a great name. Um, I love the loafs and I love the tuxie sitting on your keyboard. Is that a is that a decoy? That looks like something that you might actually use. That's interesting. There's two there's two laptops and a monitor here. That's a lot of government work. <laughs> awesome. I'm uh, yeah, I'm so glad that you get to keep working from home until April 2024. Maybe by then they'll reassess and say, you only need to come in once a week. Who I know. It, um, hybrid models they're they're seeing that it's better for their um productivity with their employees, so we'll see. I'm more productive. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I don't really have anywhere else to go though. <laughs> 
All right. Next up from MK in the ABQ, the 505. That's what this sweet boy turns two today. Fergus, great name, came to me from Breeder Release Adoption Service in December of last year. The rescue is located in Colorado and travels to states with limited or no puppy mill laws and rescues dogs that would otherwise be euthanized. Fergus spent the first 15 months of his life in an environment that left him terrified of just about everything and everyone. Ten months down the road, with patience, the help of a good trainer, and some anti-anxiety medication, he is living his best life. What the mutt. Okay. Poodle. Oh, for sure. And a... um, Golden. That looks like a little bit of like a schnauzer face. Yeah, definitely Terry, like a Wheaton doodle with schnauzer. What do you say? Let's see. Oh, my God. I love when people are like, I haven't done the DNA, but it's a cockapoo through and through. Oh, he's a cock. Okay, so we got the poodle part. It's just the, the cock part. <laughs> we got wrong. We got, you got the cock part wrong, Dana. I, I'm not surprised. I usually do. <laughs> I usually do. All right. This is from Allison pronouns she and her, not Allison Gill, by the way. Hello, Beans Queens, New York City public school teacher here. I'll be starting this new year on both a high and a low. My mother, best friend, has been in the hospital all summer dealing with a pressure wound related to her spinal cord injury. She suffered in a car accident 18 years ago. My goodness. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. My mom was an educator, fundraiser, and a fierce advocate for causes she believes in. It's hard to go back to school knowing she's not at home, but the whole family is rallying around her and her recovery. I got to sit with her pre-op while we watched Trump get arraigned in January 6th case. (laughs) She was wheeled into surgery with a smile on her face. No TFG was facing some overdue justice. While I wish I could stay by her side every day, I'm bringing the new AP African-American Studies course to my school. Fuck yeah. yeah. I already teach U.S. history and AP government, and I'm looking forward to supporting some badass teenagers while they engage in hard history, learn about our government beyond what they hear at home, and ultimately watching them go on to change the world. Thank you for all you do. I share my daily commute with the beans, and it's the best way to get my head on straight to fight the good fight. Ah, I love it. Hard history. Yeah, that's it is. Thank you, Allison. Such a good way to put it. Yay, Allison. Best name ever. And you spell it properly. Good job. Next up from Nick, pronouns he and him. Hiya. Love the show. It always gets to the front of the queue each morning. Thank you, Nick. I want to give a shout out to my old schoolmate, Dave. He's an associate professor at the United States Studies Center at the University of Sydney, Australia. Yes, we need professors to study your country academically in order to try to work out what the hell is going on. <laughs> well, maybe I, maybe I have a future to fall back on after all. <laughs> anyway, he has politics podcast called Planet America Podcast with one of our local Aussie TV comedians. He gave a shout out to me on his show this week, so I was hoping to surprise him in return with a major boost in numbers. Who knows? Maybe some of the Leguminati will enjoy expletive-laden rants about U.S. politics with random 80s and 90s cultural references by people who spend way too much time online for their own sanity. Um, you just explained me, Nick. Uh, but this time in Australian accents. Okay, that makes it a hundred times better. And by the way, if your pal is Dave is looking for a network, we would love to host him. Put us oh. in touch. If you can help give him a shock when he looks at his next download stats, go to your preferred podcatcher. Look up PEP, P-E-P, with Chaz and Dr. Dave. We'll have a link in the show notes. Here's a customary offering of a couple of pics of my old dog, Socks. 
a Battersea Rescue staffie I only had for two years, who passed five years ago now, but I still see his face every day, mainly because I've got it tattooed on my arm. He likes chippies and once completely emptied my local pub in mere seconds with his flatulence. Oh my God. I can still see him laughing at the silly humans fighting to each other to escape. Okay. Oh, that last you, photo. <laughs> oh, the tie and the aviators. Oh, so good. And I love the reflection of you. Me taking, too. That's so very cool. And what a great dog. And I'm glad you got him inked on you, Nick. All right. So everybody go just get everybody. Let's shock the shit out of them. Go to Dave's podcast. It's called Pep, P-E-P, with Chaz and Dr. Dave. Wherever you get your podcasts, go subscribe, download. He'll flip the fuck out. And then, again, if he needs any United States network representation, Nick, you let me know. I'd be happy I to. I love that, AG. You're so generous. Well, I need to get those voices out, you know? That, Absolutely. That's the, whole, that's the whole thing, right? Like, wh- my whole thing is to you know, democratize our voices, get the truth out, get a microphone for everybody and everybody listen to all the important stuff. Um, and so I, I love that. Um, that's my, that's my, that's my goal in life. I love that basically. too. I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. We need more yeah. democ- democratization. <laughs> Say democratization. Of democratization. Voices. I don't know what's up with my voice today. If it's more raspy than normal, I apologize. Mine too. I have this sort of, I've got a little bit of a vocal fry and I'm trying to I'm trying to cover it up with smooth, sultry sounds of the vocal stylings of AJ, but, but it's like, it's just, uh, it's there. It's there. What are you going to do? What? What are you going to do? It's all humid and there's pollen and I was sick for a little bit. So I think it's probably just the tail end of all that. Yeah. Anyhow, thank you everybody for your amazing, amazing submissions. Amazing. Please go to dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. Send us your good news, your pod pet picks, anything and everything. We want to hear about it. We definitely want to hear about these incredible voices that are in your life that help motivate you or keep you sane or whatever it is. I, I, th- That's what I thrive on. So send them in. And everybody right this instant, go to your podcast player and look for pep with Chaz and Dr. Dave. I can't wait. And and seriously, Nick, you'll have to write in and tell us like if he like was like, what the hell? Uh, probably in a better accent than what I just did. <laughs> uh, do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here today, Dana? I don't. I really don't. You don't? Well, I hope you feel better, my friend, or your voice gets better. I think you feel fine. Do you feel fine? I feel fine. Yeah. I don't know what the rasp is about, but I'm, I'm doing well. Okay, good. Uh, I'm I'm feeling pretty good myself and I hope everybody is doing well and that reminds me everybody please take care of yourselves take care of each other take care of the planet take care of your mental health vote blue over Q and take everyone you know with you I've been AG and I've been DG and them's the beans The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants And the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media.